All right, Shkaya. Shkaya. Yeah, welcome back. Beautiful. Good evening. Hope all of you are doing well tonight. We're going to be starting a new parak. This is parak Amar Lehem Hamun, third parak of Maseches Yuma, starting at the bottom of Chavches Amaralat. Tonight we're going to go to the bottom of Chavtet Amaralat, a, a full, a full blot, and we overshot a little bit yesterday, which made today still a little bit easier. And um, then, of course, as mentioned, no shear tomorrow night at all, and then Tuesday night, Amir Tzashem back in person. Either my flight will be on time or we'll have another uh, parking lot here. We'll figure it out. But hopefully I'll be in person. So the new parak opens with more dialogue about how things function within the Beis HaMikdash. We've been discussing all the paisos, all the different lotteries. And here is what the Mishnah says toward the bottom. In the new parak, let's get started. The person who was the Skan Kohen was in charge of the Beis HaMikdash. He would send someone out. Go, uh, he would used to send someone out up, up to the roof and say, I want you to go check for me. Did the sun rise? I, I want to know what time it is so that I know that I can bring the, the Korban uh, Tamid Shal Shachar. So says the Gemara, if the sun in fact had risen enough, he would say the sky is bright. He'd say that I can see that the eastern sky is lit up. And then they would ask the following question. Is it bright enough to the point that it will light up even Hebron? And to that, he would answer, but who Omer Hain? He would say, yes, it is. So why do we have to do this? And what is the point of this dialogue? And who's, who exactly is saying what? So all of that is subject to, um, to a discussion in the Gemara, which we'll get to this evening. Why did we need to have this dialogue about Hebron? Because one time the, the moon was so bright and they mistook it for the sun. How is that even possible? The Gemara is going to ask that question as well. Uh, but they made an error, and he said, yes, it's bright enough out, and it was really moonlight and not sunlight, and they did the Korban Tamit Shel Shachar when they shouldn't have, and the animal had to be Hotzi Lebeis HaSrefa, they had to get, remove it. All of that is part A of the Mishnah. You look like you're... I don't know. I don't know. It was a brightness question also. The, the Gemara is going to question this because the, 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 the light of the moon is very is, a, is more is more like a beam relative to a spread. And that's exactly what the Gemara will ask, which is your question. The second part of the Mishnah, that the Kohen Gadol would, would have to go to the Mikvah. What was the general rule? Someone who goes to the bathroom, Rashi says, if a person has to go to the bathroom, then he has to go to the Mikvah. If a person has to go to the bathroom and it's just uh, just to urinate, so then then to return to the Avoda, he would then have to wash his hands and feet. End of the Mishnah. That brings us to the top of Kavches Amid Beis, opens the Gemara, we see another Brisa that has other phraseologies of what it means that the sky is ready for the Korban. We see Tanya Bishmol Omer Varak Barkai, the brightness of the bright, Rabbi Akiva Omer Ala Barkai, these, uh, some of the Meforshim explain here that it's brighter and brighter by the Shita. Nechuma Ben Afkishion Omer Af Barkai Bechevron. This is even further down. It's even bright in Hebron, even implying, of course, it's bright here in Yerushalayim. It's even bright there in Hebron. Top of Kavches, Amad Bey's third line, Mate ben Shmuel, he adds as follows. He would say that the whole eastern sky is bright until Hebron. It's not only is it bright up, but everyone's already, the day has already started. People are uh, suits and ties and dresses, they're out. They're ready to start their day. They've got their briefcases, they're ready to go. So says the Gemari, if you're saying that people are already already out to work, then 
it's very late in the day. Most people don't get up before the sun rises, answers the Gemara. We weren't talking about uh, the Korban Tamid for this one. What we were talking about is Liskor Polim Kamrina. It's for people who are hiring. That's what Rashi highlights. Liskor Polim, you're trying to hire workers. So for people who wanted jobs, they would also get up. The early bird The early bird gets the worm. If they wanted a job, they'd be out in the marketplace. And those who were the employers would go find the employees and try to hire them. So that's what this last phrase was talking about. That brings us to eight lines down on Talchasim and Bez. And seemingly out of the blue, the Gemara says, Amar of Safra, de Avram, Miki Mishachre Kosle. The prayer of Avraham is from when the walls are darkened. So, first of all, this is talking about Mincha, but it's a little strange because the Gemara in Masantas Brachos said that Avram was Shachris and Yitzchak was Mincha. So, that's a good question why it is this way. Nevertheless, it is this way. The Mephorshim here do, do try to grapple with this. Um, one of the Mephorshim say that it, it, it's true that we were Koveya the requirement of Mincha because of Yitzchak, but Avram always said Mincha. It, wasn't, it didn't start with Yitzchak. Avram was the progenitor of all of the tzvilas as well, so that maybe that's one of the reasons why. But the point is that when do we dab in Mincha from? So says the Gemara, once the walls darken. What, what are we talking about? So we're talking about if you have the sun, let's say that uh, you have a building, you have a wall like this, and the sun comes overhead. So on, on my side, if the sun is right here, then this side of the wall is going to be very bright. When the sun comes right over the middle, it'll start shadowing on itself. And that's Kosle. when the sun has moved to the point that the wall that was bright is now darkened, right? Shachor, when it becomes darker, then I know that half of the day is over and then I should be able to dive. And that's what the Gemara says here is that Mikimashachre Kosle. So Amar of Yosef, you're setting the standard too high. Anon me Avram, Nekum Vinigmar. You think that we can keep up to Avram? Avram was the. Was Avram? What, what do you, we can't we can't do things like him. So says the Gemara. Amar Rava, Tana Gamar Me Avram. First of all, the Brisa says we learn from Avram, and second of all, If the Mishnah says that we're not going to, not only that, the Tanya. What does the Brisa write? Uva Yom Hashmini Yimol B'Sa'or La. So Malamid Shekolayim Kasher LaMila Ela Shazrizim Makdim LaMitzvos. We know that by Bris Mila, the eighth day is the ideal day. It's not the only day, but it's the ideal day. And on that day, within that one day, there's a, a, a din of Zrizim Makdim LaMitzvos. You should do it as early as possible. I think I've done one bris after a Vasikin minion in all the years. I was supposed mm-hmm. to have a second one, but I was out of town. Same family. They daven at brisk at the Vasikin minion. And their first, we woke up at like 4 a.m. in the middle of the summer, whatever it was, very early. And then the next baby, I was out of town. Mazel tov. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I missed the bris, but I got a lot more sleep that, mm-hmm. that night. So here, that's what it says here. For the reason, Makdimin, where did we learn it from? Who did we learn it from? From Avram. So you wanted to say that we can't learn about the Zman of Mincha from Avram because he's so great. We learned about Zerizus from Avram, from, as the Bryce indicates. So therefore, Elo Amarava, what was going on here? What did Rav Yosef mean when he was asking, how can we learn from Avram? Rav Yosef HaKakashe. This was really his question. The Tanya, the Bryce writes, So we said that it's shechted at six and a half hours and Karev, and then it's brought onto the Mizbech at seven and a half. Why are we doing six and a half hours? If what you're telling me is that we're able to learn from Avram, then we should have done it in Mamish at six o'clock because as mentioned, when the wall is standing there, the second the sun tips over the wall, even a little bit, it's six hours. Now we know. So why are we doing the Korban at six and a half hours? Why is it? It should be at six. So that's what Rabbi Yosef was saying is that if, if, if we know that by Korban Pesach, we don't do the Shrita till six and a half hours, it must be that we don't follow Abraham on this one because we're afraid that Abraham had more accuracy than we did. So that, that's what really what he was asking. So says the Gemara, we should have done it at six hours and not six and a half. Says the Gemara, my kosher, what kind of question is that? Maybe the walls of the Beis Hamikdash that we were looking at 
maybe the walls were not perfectly aligned. Maybe they were slightly slanted. Maybe they were tapered at the top. Uh, and therefore, it took a little bit longer to, to make the walls darker. So that's what he says. Halfway down, maybe it took until the six and a half hour mark until the walls would darken. And therefore, it has nothing to do with Abraham that we don't start at six hours. We're looking at the walls and the walls of the base of Mikdash were tapered or angled, whatever it was. And therefore, the walls didn't get dark till six and a half hours. Inami, Shani, Avraham, Or really, Rabbi Yosef's Habamina is right that Avraham is very unique. And this language is, um, this is, I, I believe, in the realms of things we don't understand. He had astrology in his heart. I don't know, I don't know what it means. I, so presumably means he was knowledgeable about it. Why did the Gemara use it in, in his heart? Okay, good question. Inami, third part, possible answer is Mishum He was sitting and learning all day. So he, uh, it's just a different uh, different caliber. When you sit and, and you're learning, you know everything perfectly when you're sitting and learning for long enough. Learning was constantly taking place with the Avos, as we will now see in this statement of Rabbi Chama Reb We're about five lines before the Gemara gets wide. Says the Gemara, uh, when they were in Mitzrayim, they were learning. The Pasuk refers to the Zikanim. As we will see now, the assumption of the word Zikanim is that it's talking about those who are learning. Uh, next, when they were learning in the Midbar, they had, uh, when they were in the Midbar, they had learning. Same language again, the Zikanim are the ones who are learning. How do we know? Again, the same language again. What about Yaakov? First at the middle with lines. He was learning as well. That his eyes became heavy from Zoken, from learning, from constantly hitting the books. Eliezer, Evid, Avram, Zakain, the Yoshev, Yeshiva, Eliezer, the Evid was also learning the whole time. How do we know? Because the Pasuk writes, And on that note, uh, in regards to Rabbi Eliezer, Amar of Elazar, Shemoshel, Bitoras, Rabo, that he was Moshel, that Eliezer was holding in all of the Torah of Avram. What does it mean, who Damesek Eliezer? What does that uh, Pasuk mean? Amar of Elazar, Great language. Shadole, he would draw up from the Rebbe and then he would give it over to others. Shadole umashke, he would draw up and then he would give to others to drink. That's a, a beautiful mushal for being an, a, a carrier of the tradition. You have a Rebbe that you draw from, you're being dole, and then you're mashke, you bring the water to the next generation. You've already been, you've already uh, been hydrated, quote unquote. So that's a beautiful language here. That Eliezer was a malamit. Two lines into the very wide lines. I'm a rab. This is a famous idea that Avram Avinu kept all of the Torah. So Maybe we're only talking about the Sheva Mitzvos B'nai Noah, which is Aleph Beis Gimel Gimel Dalet Heva, which is the acronym to remember all of them. So maybe he only kept seven. Says Gemara Ha'ikanami Mila. We know that Bris Mila was specifically commanded to him. So if you want to say that Avram kept only the Sheva Mitzvos B'nai Noah, that's problematic because we know that he was Mithubat to have Bris Mila. So fine. Be'ima Sheva Mitzvos Umila. Maybe it's really only eight. Seven of the Sheva Mitzvos B'nai Noah plus one of Bris Mila. Amar no, can't be. Imkei Mitzvos Saivus Orosai Lamali. Why would the pasuk then say that he kept Mitzvos Saiv and Sorosai? Uh, so Amar Rav Itema Rav Ashi came Avram Avinu Afilu Eruve Tavshilin Shneemar Torosai. He even was keeping Dine Derabanan Achas Torah Shibachsa Achas Torah Shibal Pe. Unbelievable idea. 
how did he do all of this if you're if you're if you're not fully a yid yet it's also to keep shabbos it's also to learn torah there's a lot of shilas that come up because of this and the uh, the 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 Meforshim struggle with trying to interpret exactly how it was that he kept Shabbos. Did he keep 24 hours on the clock, midnight to midnight? Was it Shkia Tetzais? You do Shkia Tetzais. So if you have Goisha Shabbos, it's Chayv Misa. It can't be. So it's very difficult to explain all of the details here. But the baseline of the Gemara, if we were to look at the conclusion of the Gemara, it would seem that Moshe, that Avram, excuse me, kept Torah Shabbat Pen, Torah Shabbat Sal. At the two dots, about 10, 12 lines from the bottom of the page, Masya ben Shmuel Omer, Vechule Vehein Omer Hain. This conversation we saw. We saw this conversation in the Mishnah. He'd go up on the roof and he'd say, I'm seeing that it's bright. And he's saying, do you see up to Hebron? And the other person would say, yes, who's talking? So man Omar Hain, who was the one who said, uh, yes, that's good. Good job. So uh, if you're talking about the guy who's standing up on the roof, he's talking to himself. If he's the one who said, I can see everything. And then the guy on the ground says, you can see Hebron. That makes sense. So let's see how the Gemara plays this out. But he can't be talking to himself. Says the Gemara, if he's asking the guy on the ground about Hebron, well, he's the one on the roof. Why is he asking the guy on the ground about Hebron? How would he know? So the Gemara says there's two possible ways to understand this. It could be that the person talking was the one on the ground. Or it could be the one talking about the roof. How do each of these play out? Eight lines from the bottom. If you're talking about the person on the roof, Amar Ihu, he would say, the guy on the roof would say, And then the next person on the ground would say, The guy on the ground would say, How bright is it? Does the sunlight reach Hebron? From where you're standing, you should be able to see. And the guy on the roof would say, The guy on the roof would say, Hey, yes, in fact, it is. Good. That's one approach that works perfectly. And here's the second approach. Maybe the guy on the ground was the one who was actually talking. Amar Ihu. Hey, your Panekola Mizrach, the guy on the ground would ask the guy on the roof, hey, did you, uh, is the sky bright yet? And he'd say, yeah, it's not only is it bright, it's bright until Hebron. He'd say, excellent, good, I'm glad to hear that. That brings us to the two dots, five lines before the bottom of the page on Kaf Chesamad Bez. Again, we're going to go to the bottom of Kaf Testament Aleph, about six, seven lines before the end of the page of the two dots there. Let's continue. What was this whole thing in the Mishnah? The, the moon was so bright that you made a mistake. How is that even remote, remotely possible? Has anyone ever done that? You look outside, you're like, it's sunny out. No, that's not, that's not possible. So let's see what the Gemara says here. Is it even possible to make such a mistake between the sun and the moon? Rebbe Omer, we're going to come back to this sheet of Rebbe later. So just remember that it's Rebbe. Rebbe Omer, the, the beam of light from the Levana is very different. They don't compare the light that comes out. When you look at the moon, you see very distinct edges of the moon. When you look up in the sky, right? we're, we're already closer to the end of the month. But at the 15th of the month, when the moon is at its peak size, you go outside, you look. It's perfect. It's a perfect two-dimensional circle from our perspective, and it has clear edges. We see exactly what we're looking at. But Timur Shelchamam, if he says it, that the, the sun, it, the light scatters everywhere. It's very different. So he looks outside, and it's a full moon, let's say, and it's cloudy out. So the full moon made the clouds look like they were being brightened up by the sun, that the light would then spread out in a very wide way. So that was the concern of our Mishnah, that it was a cloudy day. It wasn't Stam looking up and he's like, oh, I, I don't know the difference between the moon and the sun. Everybody knows the difference between the moon and the sun. Just look at them. One will hurt and one won't. You can look at one, you can't look at the other. There's a thousand nafkaminas. The heat, so much, so many differences. So what we're saying here is it was a cloudy day and it was probably a full moon of some kind and it looked relatively similar and he made an error. 
know what can we learn from this distinction of Rebbe? What we can learn from here is Yoma Deva Kule Shimsha, that when you have a cloudy day, that light is diffused across all of the clouds, which has some implications. The Mainaf Kamina, what's the difference? Says the Gemara, in regards to drying out leather. Namely, would we assume that if it's cloudy out, but the sun is out behind the clouds, that that is considered good enough to dry? So that's one possibility. Inami, another possibility is Lichadadarash. Rava, Rava said, that if a woman is going to be kneading dough for matzah, she, she should not do so in the sun. I, well, what do we consider in the sun? What if it's cloudy out and the sun is by? That's an afkamin as well. The concern was that if you're under the sun, it's going to be mischametz faster. And therefore, there's a rabbinic injunction on making, on making matzah outside in the sun. You should do it inside a closed room. If it's cloudy, how do we pass it if it's cloudy? So we would say that according to Rebbe, it seems to be that the clouds allow for light to diffuse very evenly, or at least that it appears that way. And therefore, we should have the same exact concern. Okay. So it says the Gemara... Um, that th therefore she should not do, um, therefore she should not make mata outside. Now the Gemara is going to go through a little bit of an agarata of some very interesting insights into different, uh, uh, certain differences. Let's, let's get started because my, my precursor is not interesting relative to what the Gemara says. Amar of Nachman, Zohama de Shimsha, Kashimi Shimsha. The heat that is diffused from sun is worse than the sun. What does that mean? This is similar to a, a container of vinegar. You have a container of vinegar and the cover's off, so the smell is diffused. But if the cover's on and there's a little hole, the smell's very intense. So that's what the Gemara is saying here as well, that if the smell, if the sun is diffused, that, then everything is very, very hot. It's a, that, that's one distinction the Gemara makes about the diffused heat. Uh, the next one, in the middle of the bottom line on Kavchasim and Beis, the Gemara writes, Let's say you have one beam of light breaking through the clouds. Do you remember when we were kids and you had... Um, You'd have the moon stuck in front of the sun. You'd have some, what are they called? Like an eclipse. You have an eclipse, so some type of eclipse. They always told you, don't look at the sunlight because it's easier to look at the sunlight because there's way less sun to look at. But what you're looking at is still very dangerous to the retina. It could really hurt your eyes. So this is exactly that. But if there are rays of light that are peeking through the clouds, that's that's even more dangerous than the sun itself. The same here is true by dripping water. Take a look at Rashi. This is like a water torture, Chinese water torture. You take a little drip of water and you let it fall on the person's forehead. One, it'd drive you nuts. But if you were in a swimming pool, you would love all the water. So it's just, an, again, sometimes having less of something is a little bit more dangerous. That brings us to the top of Chav Testament Aleph. Hirhure Avera, Kashume Avera. Take a look at Rashi. Hirhure Avera, Taivas Nashim, the desire, the Cheshek for Nashim. Kashim Lehakchish Es Besaro is worse for the human condition. Yosem Igufo Shamais. It's not halachically true. But it's physically true for the body. It plagues the body worse than the Maisa itself. Again, again, halachically, it's much worse to do the Avera. The same would be true for Recha de Bistra. If a person had the opportunity to, to smell a food that they were enticed by, but that they couldn't eat, it, would, it drives you crazy. It's not, it's not healthy. And therefore, you, uh, you should try to avoid the Hurei Avera as well. Shilhi de Kaita, at the end of the summer, that's worse than Kashim. Kaita is worse than the, than the peak of the summer. Tura Shagira. Tanura Shagira, then a very high oven, 
Uh, it's a little bit cooler, but then it can get very hot very quickly. So that's how Rashi here explains what's going on with the Shilhi de, de Kaita. If you take a look at Rashi on the third line, he says, Elul Shil Sofakais. He's talking about the end of the summer. That's Kasha Mikaita. That's even harder than the summer. Kasha Chomo, Michoma Kais, Shel Tamus. The whole world is already so warm. It can easily get very, very hot. The next case that the Gemara brings. Ishta de sitva, if a person has fever in the winter, that's kashimi de kaita, because in order for you to get a fever that's so noticeable in the winter, you must have had a really bad fever. And we know now that that doesn't really work that way. Your fever is your fever relative to your body. But we assume just using our parlance, if you have a fever of 101, we assume that that number is more of a meaningful number in the winter than we would have assumed in the summer because uh, because now you're surrounded by cold weather. If you have an oven that's cold, it takes more temperature to heat it up. Therefore, your fever that you have in the winter must be worse than the one in the summer. And the one that is uh, one of one of this uh, in this list, which is very meaningful to us, is migmar be'atikta kasha mechadata. Learning something when you're older is way more difficult than learning something new. Making cement by crushing up cement. If you're going to replace information in your head, it is way more difficult. I have a terribly difficult time learning Hilchot Bishel because I've learned it already and I didn't learn it well the first time. And now every time I try to learn it, I keep stumbling over myself. Like, wait a minute, how do these all things interplay? The Shahia, the Chazara, I forget every time. So I by Robinson all the time. I don't remember like basic, simple things that confuse him because it's already Migmar Be'atikta. That's much harder. When you're crushing up concrete, it's a hard task to do. So we started this whole sugya with the distinction that Rebbe made between the rays of a sun and the rays of the moon. So the Gemara says, Amar Rebbe Yabo, six lines down, Kof Tesamad Aleph, my time of the Rebbe. What was his rationale? Says the Gemara, Dechsiv lam natzech al ayala sashachar. What does this parak mean? Ma ayala ram, zukar neha maftilos lakanu lakan, the horns of a deer. It's actually Ayala is a reference to a deer. The, uh, the, that its horns are mafsilos, that as they grow, they branch out wider and wider. Avshachar, so too, Avshachar Zed, the sun, mafsilakan, ulakan. That's where Rebbe got his distinction from to say that the sun spreads just like the antlers of a deer. Why was uh, Esther compared to an Ayala? So it says, Ma just like by a ram. Racham it's, uh, its uh, womb is very narrow. And the relationship between her and her male partner are uh, are with invigoration. So Af Esther, she was the same. They too had a relationship that was similar to that. Why was Esther compared to Shachar? Here we're going to see two different approaches. Lomar Allah, here's approach number one. Ma Shachar sof kolalayla, af Esther sof kolanisim. That Esther was the last nace that was recorded in Tanakh. Says the Gemara, Bhaika Chanaka, that was a nace. So says the Gemara, I know, but it wasn't recorded in Tanakh. Nitna Lichtov Karmina. We're only talking about that which was canonized. This is one of the most difficult things to, one of the most important things I should say to figure out is what is included and not included in our canon, what's included in Tanakh and what's not. So I shared with you this discussion of this guy who uh, told me after I did a circumcision on one of his kids that I was going to go straight to Gehenim if I didn't include Yashka in my life. I said, thank you for sharing. We got to a whole lengthy conversation. He was telling me the New Testament, quoting verse after verse. The New Testament was written like many generations after he died, after Yashka died. It's not doesn't have that integrity that we have, which is we know exactly when it was written. We know who it was authored by. In Bavakama, it says exactly who wrote what. We know when they were written. And they were, there's a discussion of what belongs in the canon and what doesn't. So we have much more of a clarity, but that's why these conversations are very important. There is a shita here in the Gemara 
that uh, Esther is supposed to be included, and that's how we pass him. But then says the Gemara halfway down, I could I understand your Jerusha to say why Esther is compared to Shachar, and that's because she's so called Anisim. That I understand, no problem. That's uh, that makes sense as long as you say that Esther is supposed to be canonized part of Tanakh. However, according to the one who says Esther really should not be part of Tanakh, Michael Amemar, then what's your Jerusha about comparing Esther to Shachar? You can't say that it's Sof Kol Anisim because you hold that it doesn't belong in Tanakh. So the answer is the Gemara, you're right. We have to make a different comparison altogether. Mokim la, Yamin bar Yefes, Amar Rebbe Lazar. That's really what the drasha was. It wasn't about Shachar by Esther. Is why are the tefilos of tzadikim are ke'ayelas? Says the Gemara. Lomar lachma ayala zu. Just like this deer calls manshim megadelas karnem aftzilos. That as long as she ages, the the antlers continue to split and branch off and make more pathways. Aftzadikim calls manshim marbin bitfila tefilas anishmas. The more that they pray, the more that they are able to break through into Shamayim and get what they were hoping to get for. So the tefillahs of tzaddikim are very powerful. Elsewhere in Shash, we learned that the reason why all of the imahos were barren was because the Kodesh Baruch Hu Nisabelet tefillahs and shel tzaddikim. And the tzaddikim don't daven the way that the average person davens. They daven with a lot more tenacity, with a lot more persistence. They don't give up. And as uh, as one of my friends used to tell me that there's a type of tefillah called azus de kedusha. That's when you daven with like this push of like, no, no, this can't happen. No, this is something that you need to change. And that's a real uh, powerful type of tefillah where you try to, quote unquote, twist the Kodesh Baruch Hu's arm, but it's done, it's done, Derech Kedusha. It's not done, in, uh, it's Be'azuz, but it's not Be'azuz Manim. It's done Be'azuz the Kedusha, where we know that a Kodesh Baruch is the one who answers all of our tefillahs. So we'll stop right here in the bottom of Chavtetz Medal, six, seven, eight lines from the bottom of the two dots. We'll pick up right here on Tuesday night at 8.40. No doubt tomorrow. Wishing you all a beautiful night. Yeah.